you have your Bibles there, um, flick over to Psalm 103. We're going to talk about, Dale talked last week about God being good and God being light, yeah? Well, um, we're continuing our series on um, solid ground. And I was going through all these songs and trying to work out a really good song for the intro and then worked out that they weren't really good songs when we worked out where they were. <laughs> the one here one is from the 80s. <laughs> so we won't inflict that to you. I gave my son an education in music videos from the early 80s before they had technology and, you know, Countdown was at its top and all that sort of thing. All those remember that countdown, say amen. <laughs> all those are glad they don't see countdown anymore, say amen. amen. <laughs> <laughs> but as I was thinking about solid ground and, and what is on, I mean, this is one of those topics when, when Dale and I worked this through and we thought we were going to talk about solid ground and, and building your life on a solid ground. It's just this massive amount of, of, of stuff that you can talk about. Because when you consider the Bible, it's, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in here. A real lot of good stuff. And the problem we have in the church too often is, is that we don't realize how much good stuff is in there. And we sort of go through life and, and life comes our way and, you know, and we go through stuff and... And we have to deal with that whole unworthy thing. That we're not good enough to come to God. And, and, and you know how it is. You're going through life and, and you mess up. And you know that the Bible says that you're forgiven. And you know that the Bible says that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And yet, all you can see before you is where you've messed up and what you've done wrong and you feel like you can't come to God, and it's like, do I have to wait 24 hours before I can come to God? You know, is that the penance time? You know, or is it, you know, is that a 12-hour sin? Or maybe it's just a one hour, maybe it's a whole week, you know, I've got to wait till next Sunday and, and before I can come to God and get it right. And it's almost like, you know, you don't want God to find out about the sin. Until you've got yourself in that right place where then you can come to God and, and, and you know, you're good enough now to confess your sin to him so that he finds out about it and then can forgive you of it. And you're all sitting there going, that's not right. But it's how you feel, isn't it? Let me give you a revelation. The moment you sinned, God knew. The moment you did it, the moment you even thought it inside you, God knew. You know, when Jesus was talking about, um, he was talking to the, the, the guys about adultery, and he says, well, when do you commit adultery? So it's not when you actually go and commit adultery. He says it's when you're looking at the chick and you're thinking about it. This is why Adam sinned before Eve did. Because he looked at the fruit and he thought, it looks good. But he was a wuss. A real wuss. And he let her take the fall. And then when it came time to stand up and be a man, he went, the chick did it. And ever since then, guys have been saying... (laughs) 
It's all her fault. <coughs> but you see, the moment you see, the moment you thought about it and let it into your heart, see, temptation is not sin. When temptation comes your way, that's temptation. You know, let, let me put it in context of dieting. Right? If you decided to go on a sugar-free diet, I'm not going to have sugar for a whole week. And so you rocked up to church this morning and on your seat were those really cool SCC lollies. That's temptation. And you're, no, I'm resisting that temptation and you put it aside on the seat next to you and all through the service. You... And then they say sit down, you know, and while the guy stands at the front and talks, it's there. You know it's there. Just one won't hurt. That's temptation. So you haven't sinned. But when you decide in your heart, actually, I'm going to have that lolly, that's when you've stepped out of your diet before you do the act. Everything before that is actually not sin. But too many Christians get sold into that the sin sort of, you know, the temptation comes, and because the thought comes, they go, I have sinned. It's when you react to the thoughts and how you react to thought. One guy says, look, you can't stop birds flying over a tree, but you can stop them landing. You can't stop thoughts flying over your head, but you can stop them taking roost. And if they do take roost and and you've sinned and you've done the wrong thing, you can repent straight away Because God already knows. He was there. It's not like you're sitting up there going, oh, yeah, they're fine. I'll just go over here for a minute, you know, check out what's happening in North America. Oh, yeah, what's down in Argentina? Oh, man, look, something's happened over here and you're confessing a sin. What did I miss? God knows. You can repent straight away and be free. Isn't that cool? Someone goes, had someone say to me, I can't come to church, I'm not good enough. Well, you haven't seen the people at church. (laughs) I know you. I know me. I mean, that's like, that's like me going to my mechanic and going, look, you know, uh, you know, my shockies are done. It needs a good service, so I'm just going to take it home. I'm going to service it. I'm going to fix my shock absorbers, and I'll bring it in for you to be able to work on it. If I said that, you'd look at me and go, what kind of stupid are you? If you can do it at home, why are you taking it in? And secondly, why? You know, you take it in, and the guy does it for you. That's what his job is. It's like these people that clean their house, so the cleaner can come and clean the house. And all those who have done that? (laughs) Oh, the cleaner's coming. We need to clean up. I mean, seriously. But that's how we treat God. You know, I come to church. I'm going to get my life right before I come to church. The idea is to come to God because you actually can't get your life right. I mean, I can't fix my car before it goes to the mechanic. Trust me, I've tried. (laughs) I can remember... I had a, had a Datsun Bluebird. That was probably the first mistake. 
But this was my first calf. And um, I did a head gasket on it. And uh, fortunately, you know, we lived one street away, this is in Kalgoorlie, one street away from the centre of town. In fact, if we still lived there, we'd be living in the centre of town because there's a whole Target supermarket right on the, where the house was. So we didn't really need to fix our car in a hurry, you know. It was literally a two-minute walk to the shop. You know, work was a whole three-minute walk, you know. One of the great things about country towns, you know, if it's over ten minutes, you're in the next town. <coughs> so I sort of, we sort of left it there. And so Dad said, look, why don't we, you know, fix the car? You can do it. You know, it's an old Datsun Bluebird. It should be pretty easy. You open up the bonnet, there's lots of space. That means it's easy to fix, right? It's not like today we open the bonnet and there's just so much stuff that you don't know where to start. So we went to the local library and we got the right manual out for fixing a head gasket and we bought a, the gasket set and, and um, found the right page. And Dad said, look, there's the page. He said, look, I've got to go and do a couple of things. We're back in about an hour and a half. Why don't you make a start? I thought, I could do this. So, you know, got the old clothes on, went out to the car, popped the bonnet, had the book. And, and I've got the book like this. And I'm looking at the engine. And I'm reading the instructions, and it says, loosen such and such a bolt. What? And it's got a diagram there and everything. The diagram there, and it's pointing to it. But what was in the book didn't match what was in the engine. And after about 40 minutes of turning the book around and different angles and looking at the angle, I gave up and went inside. Dad came back an hour and a half later and um, said, how are you going? Tea was good. Because <laughs> I can't fix cars. You do not want me working on your car. I, I can change a light bulb in a headlight if it's an easy clip-out one. I can tell you if it needs oil. I, I can change oil. Because that's a one-step process. You undo the thing and drain it out. You put it back in and put more oil in. Oil filters and things. I know you saw you going, oil filter. You know, you all thought it, didn't you? All the mechanic guys. Sorry. It's not my skill set. You know, and so now you understand that I can't do cars. I can't do cars and fix cars any more than I can fix my life. And you may be good with cars, but you still can't fix your life. This is the thing about, and this is the solid ground bit, is when you come to God, you cannot fix your life. He has to do it for you. And as Christians, we sort of get into this, this mold and, and we think that you know, we've been around church for a while and, and stuff happens and we just sort of accept stuff and then we sort of deal with stuff and we go through this cycle and, and we can get into this complacency. But solid ground, you've got to get back to that foundational, I'm in relationship with God and I need him to fix my life. And there's a couple of assumptions that really go with that that I want to talk about really quickly because none of that was in my notes for the Connect New Release going, where the heck is all that about your car? It's not in my notes, all right? I want to give you a couple of really foundational stuff, and this is really talking about what Dale talked about last week in some ways, but you've got to have this stuff as your foundation in your Christian walk 
Otherwise, you cannot have a successful Christian walk. And the funny thing about these things is they have to be applicable not just here in our nice Western society. The thing about foundational principles, they have to be applicable around the world. And this stuff is. Psalm 103 says, <coughs> excuse me, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things. So your youth, your youth, your youth, your youth is renewed, try that again, like the eagles. You know what I get from that? God is good. And, you know, we, we sit inside, you know, Shara did a minute ago, you know, God is good, and we all go, all the time, if you don't know where that's from, it's from a song that a guy called Don Mowen sang years ago. And God is good. And we say that around church, we say God is good, don't we? We're in Christian warrior, well, yeah, God is good. But what does that really mean? What does it mean that God is good? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes things don't go my way. Anyone had that experience? You know, you, you get in situations, you think, what the heck am I doing in the middle of this? How did this happen? You know, it's those moments when you get home and the dishwasher's running and there's water seeping out from under the cupboard. Life doesn't feel good about then. And then when you put a hole in the cupboard and discover that there's as much water all the way around the kitchen. It's when you're driving your car and it starts to make those really strange noises. Dad was telling me, Mum and Dad drove up from um, Kalgoorlie yesterday and they're doing roadworks just outside of Kalgoorlie, Bulgari, and, and there's this, this big patch of dirt. And he said, look, it was just mud everywhere, but they had to make a new road because... This semi-trailer's going through down this road and the road collapses underneath it where they're making it and the thing is sunk down below its axles. It ain't going anywhere in a hurry. Is it three trailers or something? Three trailers all sitting there, sunk. Have fun getting that one out. I bet that guy doesn't think that things are good now. So how does it that God is good when life doesn't feel so good. You know, I mean, and relatively life, you know, we, we call first world problems, yeah? You know, you go to some countries and a, a friend, a, a minister we support, the guy was talking about this church he went to visit and he says, the people are so poor that they get the oil that they throw out of cars after a car's been, you know, using it for its... 30,000 or 60,000, whatever the case is, they get the oil they throw away and they recycle that oil and they refilter it so they can sell it to people who can't afford to buy oil. And they get paid like, you know, a dollar for, you know, six, eight litres of oil and live in extreme poverty. How do they feel like God is good? Where's the good God in the middle of all that?
Let me tell you something about God. He is good. Regardless of situation, he is good. The problem we have is that there's evil in the world as well. And the problem I find is that people blame God for things that aren't his fault. You ever had someone do that to you? I was in my workplace and they had a meeting of the leaders at this, this place I was working at this time. And, and, and they had all these tables and everyone was sitting around doing discussions about questions. And, and they had an issue. They were, they were doing a survey and, and the survey came back from the organisation and they had the same four bottom problems. They had come back from the survey four years in a row. And it went around the room and, and you know, our table discussed it. And we said, you know, we, as an organisation, we need to probably really discuss these four bottom problems, these four issues here. And we were table number 10. And so they went through nine tables and no one said anything about this issue. And that was supposed to be the discussion. So, so I stood up as representative of my table. And I said, do you think maybe we need to look at these four bottom areas and really make them our priority? Because obviously they're an issue, four years in a row, we've had the same four areas. Maybe we need to make this as a priority. Well, it turned up a whole storm across the room. (coughs) And it resulted in in personal attacks against me. And it's like, hold on, it's not my fault. All I did was say what my table, it wasn't even my idea. It was someone at my table. And you feel like, hold on, this isn't my fault. I'm just the guy who said it. And it was still going three days later. And my boss had to actually come out and defend me in a couple of forums and say, he was just saying what his table was saying, but he doesn't have a point, maybe. And it was one of those rooms where you don't say these things, obviously. I know now. <laughs> but that's how it is with God. You see, when, we, when, we, when things aren't going right, it shows the gap between us and God, doesn't it? When we mess up in life, it shows the gap we have between us and God. But you know what? That's not God's fault. Because if you go back to creation, you know, God stood there and he said, light be, and there was lights. And then he made, you know, the heavens and the earth, and he made all the, the birds and the bees and the butterflies, And then he made man and woman, and at the end of the seven days he said, it's very good, because it was very good. Everything was in perfection. Everything was in perfect perfect relationship with God. There was no sin. There was nothing wrong. When did it go wrong? When Satan got involved. And he came along and he tempted Adam and Eve, and they fell for their temptation, and sin came in, and that's when all the wrong came in. So we can't sit here and say, how is God so good when everything's so bad? It's not his fault. Does that make sense? It's not his fault. When you're feeling sick and lousy, that's not God's fault. When things aren't going your way, that's not his fault. Because he made everything good. I thought it was pretty simple. Yeah? You sure? You know, I just feel like, you know. 
God is good. You need to get into your head. God is good. I mean, look around the creation. I mean, I love, I've got my, on my um, Facebook thing, I, I'm hooked into the NASA site. And they, every day, they post this stuff about, you know, some, you know, the latest telescope or whichever one is out there behind Jupiter or which one's near Mars. And they put out these images out there. And it's just incredible when you see the images that come through and just the vastness of, of creation that's out there in the universe and, and what's going on. And you sit there going, man, this is just awesome. There has to be a God behind this. You know, there just has to be because it's just so good. You know, I really struggle that some people say it started with some amoeba in water. I want to know where the amoeba in the water came from. No one's been able to tell me that yet. But, you know, what God, and didn't, you should go outside, just stand under the trees out there. You know, Dale and I go for a walk in, you know, around our suburb, and we try and do it a few times a week. And on the way, there are two trees that really stand out. And they just have this, one's got this bubblegum smell. And I'm trying to find out what it is because I want to put it in my backyard. But during spring, you walk past it and it just smells like bubble gum. It's really awesome. Like I get hungry when I walk by. Maybe I shouldn't put it in my backyard. And there's a second one further on that just has this beautiful, sweet perfume as you walk by it. God is good. And he gave us all good things to enjoy. And like it says here, and if you go through the Bible, it says that constantly. God is good. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless the Lord. Forget not his benefits. There are benefits to walking with God because God is good. He says things like, who forgives all your iniquities. That's a fancy word for your mess-ups, your stuff-ups, and the things you've done wrong. You know what I like about that? It's all. It doesn't matter what you've done, it's not too bad for God. Because he loves you as you are. You don't have to fix yourself up before you come to God. You just got to come to God and he will fix you up. And he's good. It goes on, the next bit. Who heals all your diseases. And this is where I struggle and people say to me, oh, I'm sick because God's testing me or God's humbling me or God's trying me or so on. And it's like, really? God's good. God's good. So why would he want to afflict you with sickness? Like we talked a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about healing. You know, if God is afflicting you with sickness to test you and try you and humble you, why are you going to the doctor to get better? Aren't you working against the will of God? Just a thought. Just something out there to think about. You should be embracing that sickness with everything you've got. You should be looking for more. God, it's not enough. Seriously. I mean, we sit there and think, gee, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Because it is. If God is giving it to you, then you shouldn't work against his will. You should embrace the sickness. But God doesn't give sickness. People say to me, well, what about Job? If you read that, God did not give Job sickness. The devil did. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? 
If you read further down the chapter, he tells you what the thorn in the flesh is. So there's a messenger from Satan to buffet me. And then he talks about being stoned several times, often to the point of death, about being imprisoned, about being shipwrecked, about being beaten and whipped. Nothing about sickness. Your theology has to be consistent. Because God is good, and he can't heal all your diseases and then give them to you. That's what the Pharisees accused him of. They said, oh, he casts out demons and heals people by Satan's power. And what did Jesus say? A house divided against itself cannot stand. In other words, I can't heal disease and then give it as well. And you know one thing I've learned about Jesus? It says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it says about God, doesn't it? Jesus said, I never did what my father told me to do. So if that's what Jesus was doing there, where it says he healed, it says here in Psalms, he heals all your diseases. Jesus, when he came along, it says he healed all who came to him. You read the Gospels time and time again. He healed all who came to him for healing. He didn't heal everybody around him because not everybody asked him. But he says, you come and ask, I will heal. Why? Because God is good. Are we getting that? God is. It says, who redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies and satisfies your mouth with good things. You only put it into plain English. That means that God blesses you and prospers you. And people go, here we go. We're talking about money again. Always talking about money or sickness. Someone says, are you one of those health, wealth, and prosperity preachers? Well, I don't preach poverty. I don't preach sickness. So you work it out from there. But God's good. He wants to bless you. And you know, the other accusation I get is, well, that's Western theology. It's American theology. It doesn't work in all parts of the world. Let me tell you right now, it does. Let me give you two stories I can tell you from ministries that we support. One was in Ethiopia in the middle of the drought. And the village was there, and this ministry goes in, and they were supporting that village and working in that area, and it was just extreme poverty. (coughs) And they they were going in, as part of what they were doing, they were having services and teaching the people about God being good. And the, the whole village got together, and they said, So if God's good, that means that he will take care of us and bless us. So they said, you know what? We need to put our faith into action. And this is where most people get wrong. You see, when they get sick, they lay on their bed and they go, oh, God, heal me. You know what God says? He says, I've already healed you. 1 Peter 2.24, by the stripes of Jesus, you were not you are going to be, you were healed. God's actually already done, he's ever going to do to bring healing into your life. We have to act our faith out. James says faith has action attached to it. So don't lay there going, oh, I used to do that. And you know what? I worked out, I didn't get healed. You know what I start doing now? I get off my bed, I'm going to work. Or if I'm coughing, spluttering, I email work and say, I'm working from home, and I work from home. Because I put action towards it. And these guys went, we need to put action towards God blessing us. 
and God can overcome any drought. So they said, you know, and they got there and prayed, and they, they really got, they felt a leading from God to go and actually go out to the dam that was out there, it was all cracked and everything, and they went out and they repaired the dam. And they took what money they had, and they went and bought some seed for, I think it was barley, for that area. And they got together, and they sowed into a ministry and said, we are doing this out of faith into God. And they sowed a small bit of money they had into this ministry and started taking care of some poor. And you know what happened? In this only, only in this village, only in this region, it started to rain. And it filled up the dam, and they went out, and they plowed the field, and they planted the seed, and they got this mighty harvest. And they went, this is really cool. Now, most Western people would go, this is really cool. They take the harvest, and they go, oh, it's all for us. These guys went, we can share this. So they went to the village next to them that was in the same sort of situation they used to be in, and they went in, and they told them the story. And the people in that village came to know Jesus Christ and did the same thing. And they started to change the region they were in by going in and just sharing what they had with the villages around them and teaching them the truth that God is good. And they started repairing the dams and planting the crops and they changed the region. Because God is good. His principles work all around the world because he made it. These guys were going into, and I can't remember the African city, but it's one of those, one that had a bit of oil, and it, he said, but the poverty, it's where they did the oil thing, the recycling the oil, I was telling you about a minute ago, where they take that oil that's been used and they recycle it and they sell off to someone who's just as poor as they are, they can put it in their car and then when that's been used for, you know, 30,000 Ks, they take it out and they recycle it again. Imagine how good the oil is for the car, I know that much. And... Um, he said that they flew into that, <clears throat> that region and he said the pastor picked him up and he picked him up in his brand new Mercedes. This is pretty cool. So they're, they're driving back down and there's all these guys sitting on the side of the road and they're, they're selling the oil that they've recycled to each other. And he says, I'm curious, the guy that we, we know. He says, I'm curious, how is it, I came last time and you were driving this old you know, beat up van, and here you are in a new Mercedes. What happened? He says, incredible story about how God is good. He says, there was a lady in my church. Well, she got saved a few months ago. And she was one of these ladies that sits on the side of the road selling oil, that recycles this oil. And she'd, you know, rock up to church on Sunday and in her rags, and, you know, would sit there. And said, you know, they're a very poor church. She started, you know, a little tent for a building at that stage, and and he says, we just started to teach that God is good. Like you've been teaching us, we started teaching these people that God is good. He's not limited by our circumstances. He says, and this lady, she got it. And she said, well, God, if you're good, then show me a way through. And she started to pray. She started to give. She started to just, just sit in the presence of God and really connect into God. And she says, she got this revelation that she didn't have to recycle oil that for her to be in the ideal place, she should own an oil field. So she sought God and sought God, and she said, and she started to do these transactions, and God would give her this revelation of how to do business. And she said she went from, from selling old oil to being able to sell new oil, buying at a really cheap price and selling it to others. She said she worked the way up, worked the way up. He says, in, in over a, it wasn't that long a period, she says she was in a position to go and buy this field and she really felt God leading her to buy this field and so she bought this field, it was really cheap 
and she said, and she discovered there was oil in that field. So she went, in, it was under a year, from selling oil from the side of the road to actually having an oil field. And she says, and some oil companies now come and paid her, you know, multi-millions of dollars to be able to get the oil from her field. So she bought me a new Mercedes. She says, and now we're building a center where we can go out and we can feed the poor and we can go out and work with these guys who are selling oil on the side of the road and we can start to feed them and look after them and teach them that God is good. It works all around the world. So how do you get to the point of God is good in your life? How does this thing come about? It's, it's really, really simple. There are two simple things I'll give you, and I'm going to finish with this really quickly, otherwise we'll be here all day. First of all, you have to immerse yourself into the Word of God. Not read it through the eyes of traditional church, the eyes of your upbringing, the eyes of what's happened before, but actually read what is there. To think about what is there, where it says that God is good. You know, you can go back a couple of pages to Psalm 94, and it says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. This stuff is all through the Bible. It says God is good. You need to get into your head that God is good, that he has forgiven you of the things you've done wrong, that if you ask him to forgive you, he's already given you that forgiveness. And that he wants good things for your life. Because when good things happen in your life, you can make a difference in somebody else's life. It's not about you becoming rich and driving a Mercedes and living in your mansion, whatever it is. Sometimes that's a byproduct. But the aim of God to bless you is so that you can be a blessing. All the way from Adam to the end. It's what God said. I bless you so you can be a blessing. Abraham is the biggest example. I bless you so that you can be a blessing. You can change people's lives. I don't know about you. I've been poor and broke and sick. And it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't change anybody's life. It doesn't even get anyone excited about God. It didn't get me excited about God. But when you realize that God is good and that he wants good things for you, then you can make a difference. The second step is to seek him with all you've got. Don't seek prosperity. Don't seek blessing. Just seek Jesus. Just seek Jesus and do what he says. I can give you 10 more steps that will all go in, you know. But they're two main things you've got to have in your life. Understand, firstly, God is good. And that he loves you and he cares about you because he made you. He gave you all good things to enjoy, the Bible says. We just get this religious spirit that says we can't enjoy it. Oh, no, can't have that. Why not? Why not? 
Secondly, seek him. When you seek God, when you honestly go to God and say, I just want more of you in my life, he will put more of him in your life. It's a process. It doesn't necessarily happen overnight. But it happens as you seek him, as you seek him, as you read his word, as you feed on it, as you look for him. You will discover more and more that God is good and he will teach you how to be blessed, how to be prosperous, so that you can change the world. That's our job as the church. Change the world. But you can't change it if you don't have what you need to change it. And we can blame the government. And we can blame ISIS. And we can blame the Russians. We can blame our neighbours. We can blame our partners. We can blame our children. We can blame our parents. But there's none of their fault. It's up to us to seek God. And we have a responsibility. And there are some places that would stone me for saying this, but we have a responsibility to be prosperous and blessed. Because that's the only way that you can bless somebody else. You can't give what you don't have. Yeah? Yeah? If you really want to be poor, go to India, live in a cardboard box. Don't live in a country like this where you get taken care of. Or take your cardboard box and man Henry Bridges down the road. Don't fill out your Centrelink forms. See, we religiousize, don't we? God says here. You will flourish. You will flourish like a tree. What does a tree do when it flourishes? It provides shade on the ground. It provides somewhere for birds to rest. It provides food for those around it. It provides life to other plants and animals. That's our job, to seek God because he's a good God, to flourish that we can make a difference. Build your foundation on that. Build your foundation on the word of God, on prayer. And nothing can stop you. He has to be first in your life. Let's pray together. I just want us to take a moment to just come before God. He's not in a rush, so uh, why should we be? He's got all eternity. But as you're sitting here and coming before God, let me ask you, where do you stand with them? Maybe you've been around church for a while and you've you know, been walking with him, and, but you know that as we've been talking, you haven't seen his goodness. You haven't sought him first. You've let other things come into your life. And you're saying, I need to get that back right. I need to make that commitment where I seek God first, where he is first in my life. I would encourage you while we're sitting here just to take that moment to give God your life.
to push back into him and say, you know what, I haven't done this right. I haven't sought you first. I need to seek you. Just simply say to him, Lord, I choose to seek you. I make a commitment. I will seek you first. I will start my day with your word and with prayer. I will start my day seeking your presence. I will start my day blessing you. Because God is good. If you've never had a relationship with God, you can start that now. You just simply say to him, God, I want you in my life. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I want to get right with you. Show me yourself. Ask him to reveal himself to you. He will. Father, I pray out every person here in the name of Jesus. Lord, I bless them with every blessing. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you do love us, that you have given us all good things to enjoy. Pray, help us, Holy Spirit, to seek you first. To seek your kingdom. To seek your righteousness. Lord, to use what you have given us to be able to bless others. That you be glorified through our lives. That they may know you. That they may know your presence. They may know your love. They may know your power. Lord, that you be glorified. We bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.